Guru Nation, welcome to episode 438 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, Chris and I actually answer a listener question on starting a site, particularly um, a larger multi-site network, somebody who's research naive, but is wanting to start a site because they have access to and are somehow involved with a small healthcare group. Uh, that spans across multiple cities. And so we talk about this. We talk about, okay, how do you break it down? How do you look at the numbers? What numbers do you look at? What's important? What are the costs looking like? This is really good for obviously anyone thinking of starting a site, no matter the level, or anybody maybe even thinking of getting involved in the business side of things. Maybe you work at a site, but you're gonna transition over to the business side. So this is might be good for you guys as well. Um, check out links in the show notes to everything, the CRA Academy, the CRC Academy. If you need help getting studies for your own site, text me 949-415-6256. Check out the Patreon channel as well, patreon.com slash It's only five bucks a month. We have a monthly mastermind and we have weekly videos on how to increase your business opportunities by leveraging digital and social media. So with all that being said, thank you very much for listening. Really means a lot to me. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back uh, Guru Nation, how's it going? I'm here at the office with Chris, surrounded by jelly beans, M&M's, beads from Bourbon Street, yeah, the Orleans. autographs, creating content. So Chris actually got a question this time. You can send all complaints to chris at brkthru.org. Very much appreciated, man. Or questions. Um, what was the question? There you go. <laughs> As you're enjoying the uh, planters. Yeah, he wanted to do a video, so excuse my eating. <laughs> um, it was, what are the costs involved with opening a site? Okay, so this is somebody who, uh, can you give a background on sure. the person's situation? They're research naive. They've never started a site or worked in research. Um, but they have a number of uh, physicians in their network that are interested in research. Oh, okay. Okay. And they own this network. So they own indirectly. A, indirectly. They own like a large group group network. Yeah. Uh, like a like a like a network of private practices basically Correct. under one umbrella. Correct. So kind of like a dignity health but small much smaller version. Exactly. Okay. That is a great potential, I yeah, think, absolutely. for research. So what did you tell this person? And why are they not a client yet of ours? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, we do offer services for people just like this or much smaller. Yeah, well, yeah. They've had a number of questions. So they're, they're moving towards becoming a client. Okay. But first, they need to understand what's all involved. Mm-hmm. Um, should they start their own research site? Should they work out of the physician's facility? So they have numerous physicians' facilities. Right. So the answer would be yeah, right? Like pick your best one to get started. Because when you don't know what you're doing, here's what my advice would be. I don't know what you told them. You can talk about what you told them. But my advice would be pick your best one, like the one with them, either the most patients or the PI who's most receptive to doing research, the one who trusts you the most. Um, and then the one where you can like manage it best. So if you live in Mobile, Alabama, 
you should probably pick that one because you're there and you're the owner. You can go manage it better. Um, I would start with that one. So, you know, pick one. And then once that is successful, it's only going to be like six to 12 months before you know whether it's successful or not. Of course, there's going to be growing pains after that, but give it six to 12 months to figure out if you know what you're doing. It's, it is a steep learning curve. And then replicate that model to a few of the other sites, not to all of them, because that's, that's crazy. Eventually, you want to get all of them sure. in the system, but you got to scale up to that. Yep. So what's your advice that you give them? Because so, that's kind of what uh, my advice would be. So it's a and little bit more... in this video, right? Sure. It's a little more nuanced than that. I think it's... Um, one, it's dependent upon your financial situation, right? Okay. Can, can you afford um, your own clinic? Um, does the physician's facility, because this came up with actually in this conversation, the facilities don't have the space to do research. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. So they were. It's concerned. funny, the video I'm processing right now is about what CRAs look at during site selection visit, and the clip that I'm actually using for YouTube is about space. So we talk about space. Sure. It's very underrated how much space is required. In yeah, research. you absolutely need some space. You definitely need space. And why is that? Why? Somebody well, watching right now or listening, they're like, well, why? Why? Sure, all the supplies. There's lots of supplies that are shipped to the site, as well as things that are generated in terms of uh, if you're using paper source, you're going to generate a lot of um, material. Right? You have patient charge, you're going to have regulatory binders. There's just, there's just a lot of, a lot of uh, different things are generated for research. And when I tell people, because I've, we have this conversation with people all the time, and then they ask me, well, seeing that we are entering an era of e-source and e-regulatory, do you think that still is the case? I say yes, because your study coordinator, I mean, we can take this camera and go show you Rosario. She has her own office. Uh, because a study coordinator is a full-time job. Sure. You can, and in a lot of these medical practices that don't do research, there's no space for a study coordinator, really. Mm -hmm. And that's not to even mention the monitor that comes out per study. Per study, one monitor will come out every four to eight weeks. Yep. So you need space for them, too. You don't want them using the coordinator. Exactly. Room. And you don't want them using the restroom, which is what I said in this video I'm processing <laughs> now as well. Which monitors be have, been, have been put in the restroom as no well. No way. Seriously? Yeah. I've never heard that. But I've, I've heard, heard, I've I've heard, heard it. I've heard little closets, uh, closets large walk-in closets. Restrooms. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. I think I would object as a CRA to the restroom. Right. So anyways, <laughs> like, you know, funny, a but, little bit humorous, but it illustrates a point that space is very underrated is. Yeah. in and, research. And even to expand on what you had said, even with electronic source and electronic regulatory, you're still going to have a lot of material you have to store. You have all the investigational products, you have all the shipping supplies. Mm -hmm. um, EKGs. Yeah. I mean, there's just lots of things that require space. Phlebotomy equipment. Yeah. I mean, those lab boxes are huge. Yeah. Shipping boxes, mm -hmm. and then you have the, the kits, the lab kits. Those are fairly large as well. Remember when you and I visited Mount Sinai pre-COVID in Manhattan? Yeah. And they were saying they were storing their lab kits in the ceiling. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you even call this? Ceiling tiles. Above yeah. the ceiling tiles. <laughs> they were running out of space, so they were just putting them there. Yeah. I mean, it, space is very underrated. Okay, so what else can we tell this, these people? Okay, so... If cost is not an issue, then it's do you have a space, right? Um, 
And again, if cost's not an issue and there is no space, you're going to be running your own facility, right? Which presents its own challenges too. Yep. Because then you got to get the doctor to want to, and the clinicians to come to you when they're so accustomed to getting everything done at their place, right? And even then, they still don't have time. Often. Often enough to do research stuff, right? This presents its own challenges, whether it's in the physician's office or your own office, besides just space. Oh, absolutely. You gotta consider, and you gotta know what kind of PI you're dealing with. I mean, this is where this person's gonna know better than us. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're meeting with a PI in 30 minutes. Uh, have you ever? There's this good book called The Five Love Languages. No, I've never read. It. <laughs> Basically, not to digress too much, but it's important. People tend to try to influence people uh, based on how they would want to be influenced, which is incorrect because there's and they broke it down into a science. There's like five things that drive people, and people are driven by these five different things basically. So you got to know. Everyone should read that book, but you got to know who you're dealing with. Which one's number one for that person? Yeah. What's number one? Is it money? Is it that they just want to be involved in research, like uh, more of a prestige thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it really to give their patients some kind of alternative treatments? Is it part of some grander strategy that they have? Maybe they want to do IITs. Who knows? you got to figure that out. And then you got to make it to where whether you're doing it in their office or your office, you got to make it work for them. You got to have incentives aligned. So maybe that would be going back to what you would say. We're meeting with our PI in half an hour, hopefully. Um, maybe that would be a good starting point. What drives in our particular situation RPI? Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that'd be a good starting point to understand with her. In our case, it's for our conversation. I think it's prestige and. But we don't know. It's the point. Maybe it'd be a good time thing to ask yeah the thing is when you ask directly you, you don't really get the, the correct answer the, you, the the right answer that's the thing for entrepreneurs or for leaders you're supposed to figure this out over time i think i i think i've got this one to pick i'm not sure <laughs> but anyway not to get too sidetracked with our pis um this is the advice i would sure. have for this person sure so um and then you have another facet to this, right? How are you going to pay your PI? So, because that, that comes back to the facility. So if you're paying your PI a percentage, right? Paying them a percentage, or even if you're paying them a salary or an hourly wage, that's gonna fluctuate what you're paying them in terms of where you're doing the research, right? Yeah. So if you're doing it away from the facility, so you're paying all expenses associated with rent and such, but now the PI has to drive there. That's right. The PI has to drive there. Right. There's going to be some sort of fluctuation in what you would pay them in terms of if you're working out of their facility. Maybe they want you to pay for some rent, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe because it's so convenient to them, they're not going to charge you anything, right? There's just all kinds of things to consider here, some variables involved. So I'll combine your, this guy's, or I'm assuming it's a guy, mm-hmm. this guy's question with someone else who randomly texted me today. Hey Dan, I have a physician who is a general practitioner with a busy private practice and is interested in doing research. So similar to this one, except it's just one, but that's all you need. Sure. We're in the stage of deciding compensation and I listened to the various options um, 
So does the bulk of the PI, does the bulk of the budget go on the services the PI offers? Uh, like physicals, reviewing SAEs, labs, etc. I want to make sure I choose an option that won't have him getting the bulk of the money. I've never seen a budget before, so I'd like to get your knowledge on that. I suggested, no, fee-for-service is too complicated. I would do a percentage. Then they're fair enough. They replied, just curious what makes it complicated. And I said, it's not enough assessments to keep them happy under that model, especially when you're starting out, or... There are too many, theoretically, assessments for them to do that there's nothing left for you. It's one or the other. So I think the percentage is um, a little easier to go. But what do you think about, like, how do you answer this person's question about budgets and where does the majority of the budget go to? Well, because Chris does all our budgets, by the way, for DSCS, which we do right now, um, 1300 bucks a month for our client services. Mm-hmm. We get you studies, we do budgets, we create source, we are shoulder to cry on, everything, okay? We help you with all these things for a flat fee every month, month to month contract. Shoulder so, to cry on is asking questions. Yeah. Um, but I would also add another component to that in which, um, you know, if he's trying to bootstrap it, percentage is absolutely the way to go. Because oftentimes you're not gonna get paid uh, as quickly as you would hope to. Right. So you may be coming out of pocket to pay the PI. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're paying them a percentage, then it's absolutely dedicated towards how often you're getting paid and when you get paid. Mm-hmm. Right? You're writing them a check when you get paid. Excellent. So so where do you think the majority of the money from a budget goes? This person asking a fair question that for someone who's never seen a budget, you know, it's a logical thing to ask. So... I would say, I would say most of it's not to the PI or directly associated with what the PI does for the most part, right? Because you do have like, for example, a PI fee, right? right? But you also have a CRC fee, right? Right. Um, you have overhead. That's definitely not the PI. Right. Um, you have AEs, Vitals, vitals. None of this is really the. I mean, it is and it isn't the PI, right? It is and it isn't because technically everything's the PI, right? Right, because they're supposed to have oversight over everything. Exactly. But in reality, I get what this person's asking. You know, reviewing SAEs—that's a one hundred percent a PI thing. But what about con meds, though? I mean, they got to review them. They have to sign off on them. But really, they're not capturing the data. Right. 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 That's more the coordinator. Right. So this is why I think you don't want to go. This is why I advise this person against the fee-for-service route, not just because of bootstrapping, Mm -hmm. but because of the fact that the PI can argue that everything, if they look at the budget, they're going to say, well, I do all of this. Or at least I'm responsible for all of it. Yeah. So then I should get fee-for-service for for everything. There's nothing left for you. Yeah. You get zero. Right. So I think a more fair way would be 10 to 50% of the overall study budget of the gross depending on the situation, a lot of which we already discussed previously, are using their office, mm-hmm. are using their staff, are they charging you rent, mm-hmm. are you using their staff for free, are you using their supplies, paper, toner, trash bags, electricity, electricity, Wi-Fi. internet, phone, um, phlebotomy, equipment, yep. everything, right? That all adds up. It does, absolutely. So 50% would be more fair if the case were that they're allowing you to do everything and use everything and no rent mm-hmm. being charged, 10% would be more fair if you're, if you're paying for everything 
including the rent. 10 to 20. 10 to 20. 10 to 20. Matter of fact, this meeting is to talk to our current PI, who's one of our owners, about bringing in another PI, mm-hmm. who may or may not be an owner, but then we're going to discuss percentages and things yep. like that, yep. right? And we have 20% under our 25. model. Is it 25? Well, yeah, currently. Cur- uh, no, no, but as if you were to come on as a contractor. 20. Yeah, 20%. So there's a lot to consider, and it's not, there's no, I know people are looking for a blueprint, and the thing is, there is no blueprint because every single situation is unique. Yeah. It's even, like a fingerprint. Even where you live determines a lot of this, right? If you live in, I don't know, uh, where's a cheap place to live? If you live in Mobile, Alabama. Alabama. I was just going to say Alabama. If you live in Alabama and you're comparing that to Beverly Hills in a very nice you know, area of Beverly Hills, a huge difference in what you're paying for rent, right? Maybe 10 times. Yeah, because basically your budget's almost going to be the same as the site doing it in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Maybe just a little less. Yeah. They factor in geography a little. A little. They do. A, a little. little. Right? Not like, a lot. A you're, little. You're a good at case of this, actually, because you negotiate all of our clients' budgets. So yep. how much of a factor is geography in? Uh, you know, it rarely, honestly, it rarely comes up. So when I used to negotiate, it used to come up a lot. They used to ask, where are you located? So yeah, I'll, tell, I'll tell you how it plays out. So oftentimes we'll negotiate one budget for one of our clients and maybe two or three other clients get the same study and I'll just ask them to match okay um, and usually they, they take no issue only twice can I ever recall them saying well we gave that site more the initial one that I negotiated because they're in LA right and we, we can't justify the same costs for a site in Kentucky mm-hmm. right so it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming less of a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. They just stick with what, you know, here's our top dollar and that's the best we can do. Because now you negotiate almost all the budgets. I really don't do much of this, but I used to do a lot, like right. six, seven years ago. I used to do the majority of them. Uh, and then that flipped and that, that did come into factor almost every time. Sure. And you, I would, I mean, that's certainly reasonable. And if you do live or if you do work in one of these high rent states, you should bring that up during your negotiation. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm in Boca Raton, Florida. It's not fair that I'm getting paid the same as what somebody in Boise, Idaho what is that getting paid. Basically, boils down to is the overhead, right? Right. So, right. in the instances in which they did bring that up, I said, okay, we can agree on five percent less for overhead. I see. Which usually they're accepting of that. What's a good overhead these days? Thirty. That's the average. Can you get forty with COVID? Sure. Yeah. Not with everybody, but with some. Yeah. It's all negotiations. You're not always going to get top dollar, at least what you think you can get. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain how to negotiate a budget. I don't even want to do a video on that. But uh, honestly, a lot of it's, to, in my opinion, if you're going to get the top dollar that you can, it's just not numbers. It's also kind of gut, right? Right. It has a lot to do with, and I know that's a horrible, there's no, that's not to, stable enough to say it's a gut feeling but it is it's um yeah right I don't know if anecdotal anecdotal yeah yeah so anyhow um basically and i think we're about done here but what do you think a monthly an average monthly cost is to running a site can you answer that question you can't because you have no clue you right have, all these we discussed in the past 18 minutes are variables. It could be zero, mm-hmm. or it could be all of those things that you're responsible for, yep. including city coordinator salary, which in this business, 
your your employee costs are going to be by far the biggest expense, right? Besides rent, mm-hmm. and more than rent if you have more than one staff. Well, you would hope it's paying patients. So you would hope that's your biggest cost because if it is, you're making a lot of money. <laughs> I don't think that would ever be your biggest cost. Because Could be. You have that many patients, you're going to need more staff. You, you certainly would. Yeah. You should probably develop a metric or patient fee to employee fee ratio. I bet you there's something there. Oh, absolutely there is. We just never looked at it. Yeah, I'm certain there is. But if you could ever get to where you're paying more out in patient dollars than you're paying to staff, you're doing very well. Mm. Very well. Have we ever done this? No. No. I mean, we've paid out a lot of money to patients before, but it's never been more than staff. Yeah, during my before DSCS and before when I was just focused on one site, we at one like three month period we were averaging like five patients a day, mm-hmm. sometimes six patients a day right. for this three month period. But I had four staff met four full time coordinators doing it. And you also have to pay your PI and sub as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they were I was paying them on a percentage base. Percentage still, basis. Still part of your salary. Still though. part of the salary, okay. But we were close with one study. Uh, it was an inpatient study in which none of our staff were working on the study, right? Yeah. So but you still had to pay the patients for it yeah. for the days that they're in, you know, inpatient. Yeah. For that study was, I believe, 14 days. So we were approaching getting to that point where we're paying more for patients. So it could happen. But that's sure not a, it could happen. That's not a practical metric though, right? Like most sites, you know, they're not going to give them that metric and say, hey, focus on this. No, of course not. It's a good metric for a brand new site to focus on. A, a good metric? Um, Getting a study and... I think patient visits. Patient visits per day. Or, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. I think when you're starting out, if you can have one patient visit a day, you're probably doing okay. Yeah. Right, because you don't have much, you have one staff member typically, right? You have a coordinator. Right. One they, staff member can do one patient visit a day. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, depends on how much experience they have. Mm-hmm. If they're experienced, no problem. Um, and if they're not, we put them in our CRC academy. Yeah. Okay, we have a study coordinator academy. It's online. Monica's even offering internships now. That's crazy, but okay. And a final project, which is practical. Basically, these people are going to get out of this. CRC Academy could run an entire site mm-hmm. on their own. That's good. But, uh, yeah, if you do one patient visit a day, you'll, you'll be paying your PI, which, you know, you're paying them a percentage. They'll be happy. They're getting some, some sort of revenue. Um, and you'll have profits. All right. Anything else we're leaving out for both of these people? I don't think for the one that texted me, just, anything, I think a, we covered it. It's just impossible to say, here, you're going to pay $8,000 a month. Yeah. We have no idea what you're paying your rent. It's impossible to give people an exact blueprint. Like, you know, when you go to Ikea and you buy a dresser and you get, like, instructions for how to create it? Mm-hmm. People want the same thing when they're starting a site, and you just don't have that. Yeah. Right? Completely. You're given right. a, maybe a list of the equipment you need and the material. We do have that. But how you put it together and whether you use all of them or not... You know, that's that's the analogy. People are looking for, like, instructions step-by-step, and it just doesn't exist. Yeah. If you want to know it precisely, you would have to gather the numbers yourself and add them up, right? I mean, we can tell you what you're going to pay. You're going to pay your staff. Who's your staff? How are you going to pay your staff? You're paying them an hourly rate. You're coordinating your PI. Well, then you have to figure that out. 
How many hours are they going to work? Well, if you have no studies, not many, mm -hmm. right? I mean, but you have to gather all this information yourself. And I understand if you're research naive, I'm sure we can give you a five-minute conversation and tell you, right, what are the things that you need to be aware of. Or you can just watch this video. Yeah. But even then, right, they don't know how, how much they're going to be working these people, right. PI and coordinator. Right. right. Um, but everything else you add up, right? That's, that's there's no variance there. Your rent is your rent. Electricity, internet, well, that's going to stay the same. And rent might be completely paid by the doctor and yeah. not by you. Depends on your situation. All right. I think we covered everything. Thank you guys for watching and listening and sending in your questions. Thank you, Chris. So, hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.